I would like to kind of share why I, would like, I wanted to do this tonight in this type of manner. Uh, we do a podcast together. Uh, we started it about a year and a half ago, and the whole main intention is our Mission 300 is how do we do provide mentorship? What does that look like? What does it look like to interact at different age levels and different, you know, because I'm the youngest one up here, and... No, but we have, this, we have this age, we have another uh, young man that's been connected to us for a lot of years. He's out in North Carolina, another college student. And we have, there's, there's this, I'm the old guy, we have the young family man, and then we have the college student, but how does that all look when you're interacting around a topic? How do you learn from each other? Because mentorship isn't one directional. It's actually an interaction like a family, right? And we don't have many examples of that. Uh, since eighth grade, but more ninth grade. Um, high school soccer, made him my captain in ninth grade. I've never met a young man that had normal life stuff to deal with, but discovered God as a father and began that journey back in ninth grade. And unbelievable how he navigated, in some areas I don't know how he navigated through, but he didn't do it out of sheer will. Something was different about him. So I have known him for a long time, coached him, but at the same time when we do this, they're not coming to me for Brian's great wisdom because it's not always there, if I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes it's like, let's have some ideas, we need to go through what's God saying about, how do we disagree? How do we have frustrations over application of things? Where do you learn to do something like that because that's where you get strong? But because we're bonded together, we're not gonna let go of each other and we also have something else. At the end of the day, the word of God has to win. It's not us winning. But a lot of times we're wrestling, how are we measuring to the word of God? Not, not how the word of God is measuring to us. You guys understand what I'm saying? The job is not to get the word of God to measure to us, it's us to measure to the word of God. And there's more to it than that than the simplicity of just the words. So we'll get, hopefully maybe we'll touch more on that. But that's what this, we wanted to do it in a setting that how we're gonna take a couple ideas, we're gonna wrestle through, bring it back to the word of God, and then how do we come back around and align ourselves, do it? So we're kind of inviting you into that conversation. So there's a few things that we're gonna cover here um, on this topic of peer pressure. And you don't have to write these down necessarily, you can if you want to, but these are kind of three main things we're gonna hit. We're gonna ask this question, is peer pressure good? And that sounds like a very odd question because we all know the answer to that question, right? But one thing um, I'd like us to do tonight, and we try to do in a lot of our discussions, let's let go of this idea of, oh, I already know the answer. When we read a Bible study or, a par or when we read a Bible study, parable of the talents, well, I already know what that one means. So we kind of check out. Let's let go of that for a minute and actually just look at some of these ideas. So is peer pressure good? If so, what's the difference uh, between good peer pressure and bad peer pressure? And I'm sure we can all think of some examples from our life when we have faced peer pressure, sometimes in a good way, and sometimes we look back at those events and think, didn't do so well in that one. Anybody ever been there? Just me? Okay, I'm the only one who's faced peer pressure and then regretted how I responded to it later. That's cool. This will be all about me then. Hmm. Second question, why do we conform to it? Now think about that just for a minute, and again, we're going to dive more deeply into those, but why do we conform to peer pressure? And then if you go onto your favorite Bible app or your favorite Bible website and you type in search for peer pressure, you might not come up with an exact phrase in that. I tried it earlier today. But I think we know this by now. Just because a specific word isn't in there doesn't mean that the concepts and the principles aren't addressed in depth. And a lot of times in ways that are kind of obvious, even though we didn't realize it at the time. So eventually we're gonna to get to what does the Bible say about peer pressure. We're gonna talk a little bit about competition possibly as well, but those are kind of the three main things we're gonna to hit tonight. So why, why don't we, we step in real quick and just let's think about an idea of um, that, that, that we've tried to tackle. So let's just look at, let's say, bullying in high school. Let's put something a little bit off of where our age group is because I, I deliberately didn't want to talk about something in our current function because your brain will check out the moment we start talking about it because we're all subject to the peer pressure of one side or the other. 
I wanted to step into something so we can understand, so we could become aligned with the word of God. Then whatever you're facing, God can begin speaking through of how to navigate through whatever is going on. Is that a fair reality? Okay, so let's don't jump to any conclusions where we're going with this. So in, um, there's a web, Stop Bullying. It's at stopbullying.gov, all right? So here's the definitions based on surveys of young students between the ages of 12 and 18 years old. And when they're looking at bullying, we could say that would be a bad type of peer pressure. Agreed? Right? Maybe some of you could think, well, it worked, it worked pretty good over here. But it's probably not the best mechanism for, bullying, for uh, peer pressure. So let me throw this out. So students age 12 to the 18-year-old 18, 18 being subject of rumors or lies. Anybody have that happen? Being made fun of, called names, or insulted. Put, leaving out, exclusion, threatened with harm. Made to do things that you don't want to do. Property stolen on purpose or something taken from you. All right, so... Those are signs of high school bullying, great? And we'd all agree they're wrong, all right? So that would be a bad example of peer pressure. But maybe I thought, could you guys throw out a good example of peer pressure? Well, I would just say, uh, I grew up, I grew up going to like a Christian school, and so there was a lot of peer pressures in different ways of like, we already knew what the bad things were that we weren't supposed to do, so it was like a peer pressure to do the right thing. And so I feel like it was a little bit of a difference between of like, we know what is wrong, but you get peer pressured into doing what's right, and then you don't even know why it's right. And so I thought that was really interesting to me as I was thinking about this. But normally described as kind of a good pressure, like you're, maybe you're, you're working on a project or something, and the team that you're working with is kind of pressuring, let's get this thing done, let's get this thing done, and you're kind of feeling that that pressure or team pressure playing. It's like, hey guys, we need to get training or something and some guy doesn't want to go do training, but the team kind of pressures that into it. Now the coach probably did at times. <laughs> okay, we don't answer that question. So we have that kind of pressure, right? So can, how, would, how would you define, are, are we designed to be moved by peer pressure? Because it works. I think that's the question. Are, are we as Christians, as believers, who have to stand before God on our own? We can't say the group said. We can't say the pastor said. We can't say my mom wanted me to. You stand before God on you and what you have done and what you've believed. Purely you when you stand before God. So that poses me a real question. If that's the case, by the way, I'm not saying God's looking to bring judgment. If you believe in Jesus, you've been judged as righteous, just FYI. But I'm saying you have to stand for that decision that you're making. So I was, I was thinking about this earlier today, and we didn't, we didn't talk about this example, but I've, I've actually mentioned the Bible study, the example of when I was rock climbing in Thailand. And I don't want to go through the whole story. So you guys familiar with, you remember a couple weeks ago I shared that story? If you're not, go back in the archives and watch it later. But um, I was trying to climb that wall, and I couldn't get to the top. You said something that you could say pressured me as a peer, as a mentor, whatever, into achieving it. I thought back to playing basketball in college. There's a lot of times, because I, I was at college with my brother and one of my cousins, and we would play basketball together. And in our circle, there was no one better that could motivate you than my brother and my cousin. We motivated each other, so when we were playing, there was a different level of excellence, you could say, that came out of us because we would push each other. We would pressure each other. We would look each other in the eye and say, you just said something really stupid. You should have passed when you shot or vice versa. I know you're better than that. So there, was, there are these times where I can remember that kind of pressure, I guess, compelling me to be better than I was being in the moment. I think I would add to that too is like with soccer as well, um, why our team got better was because there was pressure applied to it every practice. It wasn't just we came out and, you know, shot a ball around, 
kick the ball around, whatever it is. No, we constantly were putting pressure on each other to perform and do better when it was offense versus defense almost all the time. It wasn't defense, go over here and do your drill. It wasn't offense, go over here and practice. It was you guys need to play against each other so that there is pressure in this situation so that when the game comes, it's not like I'm just going through cones. It's like I know what the pressure feels like of someone running up against me, and it's the same for defense as well as offense. So, so in those examples you guys gave, if, if you're on a team and you have one player that doesn't really want to do, do anything, doesn't want to perform, doesn't want to, and you have to constantly almost be pressuring them into action, how long does that last before he either leaves or it kind of starts destroying the morale of the team? And this brings me to a very good point, which... I would say it, it happens pretty quick. Like, if you don't make it, you don't make it. You're going to either get burned out right away or you're just going to constantly, like, have someone riding you. And if you, if you don't respond to that, it's... it's so, so the two examples you guys kind of gave shows something that we had a relationship and we wanted the best for each other. So there was this common idea that I'm going to help bring out the best that is in you for your benefit. It didn't benefit me if you climbed that wall. In fact, I look better if you didn't. But you did. So it wasn't me that was benefiting from that. It was you that was benefiting from that. So the motives behind and the relationship, same on the soccer team, we established that early on. Hey, we're gonna work hard. I'm gonna put pressure on you. I'm gonna put expectation because I see what you are. And they rose to that occasion until they eventually owned the team. Like they, they did it. They pressured themselves and lifted it. So there is, a, there is something within us that we need that group. We need each other. We need the, the, the effort and, and that camaraderie and that oneness with each other. We, we could agree to that, safe to say. But you're already accepted. You were already on the team. You were already accepted into my relationship, so you weren't performing what to see if I would accept you. I already accepted you, so we're meeting to that expectation. That is a very big difference because Jesus does something interesting where no other religion does. He gives you your identity and your position with him first before you actually walk the thing out. Every other one, you have to get to the point. So the peer pressure in any other kind of group is to get you to see if you can get up there, but you never arrive. You're always under. Jesus lifts you first and then starts telling you what you are and you begin living into the thing that you, he sees which you've already become. So the pressure is different because the relationship is different. The motivations are different. The needs of being accepted are, are established. Correct? You guys, because we didn't... We didn't prep a lot before this just so everyone knows we're like hey let's talk about this and then see where we go they don't turn out well when we do <laughs> the more we prepare uh the less well we talk and speak words so i had this I had this question um I, I was actually listening to a uh a podcast a while ago and they were it was on it was on fitness and um somebody made the comment of i don't care if i pressure you into being healthy, doesn't matter how I do it. If I get you to be healthy, then that's a good thing. And so it made me think of this in the context of peer pressure where it's, even when it comes to Christianity, if we pressure people into it, doesn't that, doesn't that make it good? So pressure them, whether they're my friend or whether they're a stranger, whatever it is, doesn't that make it a good pressure? Does that make sense or am I not explaining that very well? No, that's good because someone has thinks that there's something better for you, so they pressure you into it. But at some point, if you don't own it, it's not yours. And the moment the pressure's off, you will resort back. And then most of the time, there's a frustration towards that other, that, that pressure that starts responding. Or you become dependent on the pressure. So now we're being defined by an external thing to define what we actually are, which is called conformity. I, one example of that for me, I, I understand baseball in high school and um, even when I was younger, I had a really good coach and there was a lot of pressure to 
perform and we would work out and there would always be this pressure of like you need to perform you need to get better you need to do the reps you need to do the extra work and then when that guy when that coach left that wasn't a part of me and so when I went to play high school ball it was no longer oh I need to work out every day oh I need to perform better oh I need to do this or I need to keep working it was just I just kind of fell flat and went back to how I was without that pressure because my coach in high school wasn't pressuring like that. So, so then, and I don't want to go off on a bunny trail, but then isn't the solution to always apply the pressure? I don't think so. Why not? <laughs> I think the pressure has to come from within yourself. If, you, if, you, if it's something you really want to do like that, it has to come from within if you really want to perform. Because the danger will be over time, you will always have to find a group to create that pressure for you. And I'm not saying, don't confuse, this is why we, we want to discuss these things, is because we can get so technical, I can just tell you what I think about something, and you're like, well, what about group? What about needing each other? Well, no, we need each other. Well, isn't that pressure? And then we, we walk through it. No, it's not, it's not this or that or this. It's, it's how do we get our heart into the position where we grow as an individual, but then we become interdependent upon those around them to draw on their strengths, and they're pulling us in their strengths, and sometimes they're, they're hard on us, but we know they believe in us, so it's in that relational skill. So if your group becomes deep relational, where they believe in you, now we can do something with that, and that becomes very important. But then that brings to a separate topic of what are the ideals of that group which we don't necessarily need to hit. But the group idea of needing that is a critical component, which is why we look for it everywhere we go. And as a side note, maybe this is something we'd have to come back to another time, but so your relationship with Jesus is just so that you can have the Holy Spirit there who is that constant pressure on you saying, well, do this or you're not accepted. Do this or you're not really a good Christian. Do this or you're being a bad Christian. Maybe we've made that a spiritual thing but in a natural sense, we kind of see the problem with that. And that's not really a biblical thing either. Because Jesus didn't come to say, hey, I'm bringing you into the kingdom of heaven so that you can be little serfs and be pressured by me in the kingdom of heaven. We're actually called sons and daughters and co-heirs in the kingdom. A co-heir has to have that identity of confidence about them. You can't be pressured into it constantly live by external pressure to get somewhere. Getting to heaven to a lot of people is meaning that that negative pressure is off us. But then most people, based on the relationship, won't need God because the only reason they need God is because they're living in external pressure. So basically, heaven would have to keep needing evil there. You are, so you'll love God. But if you didn't have that, you wouldn't want God anyway. You just want freedom from the pressure. So it exposes a big motive which is a little side note, sorry for the rabbit trail there. Well, let's, let's go on to the second question of why do we conform to it? Why do we conform to peer pressure? I think just because it's easy. If everyone's doing something, you know, it becomes part of the norm and it becomes expected and it becomes like what everyone does. And I think one video that we talked about before is where the, I watched a video where this guy was like dancing at like a park and it was, there's like a music park and everyone was just like sitting and watching and someone was filming and watching this guy dance. And then someone else joined and then someone else joined and someone else joined and then it became normal and everyone started dancing, but no one really knew why this guy was dancing to begin with. It's just everyone started dancing. And I think it's just really easy to fall into that, you know, he's doing it or someone else is doing it or everyone else is doing it. I should do it too, but that's not necessarily the case. You don't, you haven't thought through. So what were some of the things growing up as a kid your parents taught you about peer pressure in school before you went to school? Ooh, the, uh, okay, get, finish this sentence for me. If all of your friends jumped off a bridge, would you do it too? I, that's my favorite one, and I can't wait till the till the moment I, as a dad, say that to one of my kids for the first time. It's only a matter of time. But that, was, that was the biggest thing, you know? If all your friends jumped off a bridge, would you? No, mom, I wouldn't. But maybe I would. How high is the bridge? How far down is the water? And honestly, that's kind of what it ends up being in reality is, well, obviously I wouldn't do that. 
all doing it and it'd be weird for me not and the cute girl from class was there and she was watching you know that's that's how it plays out in reality i feel like we have our technical right answer but then you go out here and you experience the pressure and oh weird the pressure feels different in reality than it did in the classroom when i was writing my answer down in fact we probably have more stories of people who jumped off the cliff than we do who chose not to right okay what about the it doesn't matter what other people think. You ever get that one? It's like, well, if I don't get these shoes, I got to go to school. Who cares what other people think? Right? It was easy for the parent because they weren't, didn't want to spend the money on the extra for the shoes. So it's like, you just need to get over it. Right? We, we were taught all these things in school. Or I have a, I have a great story Not in school, but, but there was these ideas of say no to drugs. Mm -hmm. Just say no. Right? Just say no. So if you're friends, why would you go do it? I'm just talking about the first social settings that we're in. There's something we are looking for or we wanted the acceptance or, or we wanted the validation or we wanted someone else to approve of what we wanted to go do. And so, but we were to say no to that, right? Just say no. These are all great statements, right? So uh, I'll share I'm this. holding my thought. I'll so share this on. quick story because this is not really caring what kind of clothes I had until I got to youth group at church. The reason that changed, and I, I would honestly just go through life, I had no idea like, oh, my style is not up to date with everyone else. I just didn't care. It wasn't even a thought that registered in my brain until I got to youth group one day and we were just kind of all talking and there was a group of us, maybe 10 or 12 kids or something. And uh, a couple of the kids were going around and pointing out everyone's style. Like, oh, you're, you're clearly an emo kid because you wear this. You're clearly... Uh, an athletic, a jock because you wear this. And they got to me and they literally said, you don't really have a look or a style. And then they just moved on. And from that moment on, I was extremely conscious to really match this. And so I started looking at, well, maybe if I wore this shirt with this one, then I'd be kind of more like this person. It never registered in my mind until that moment because there was, there was no measurement by which I was failing until someone br brought it up and said, yeah, you kind of don't have a style, so you don't really fit in with this. I had my own style. <laughs> that works really well when you're just getting into youth group and you're the new kid and you're like, I really don't want to make an impression on anyone. I, I, don't, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm the new kid here. Why would I care what anyone thinks about me? Yeah, that's how people think when they're in junior high. So we could kind of say in the group set in early ages, no one wanted to be the odd man out. No one wanted to be the outsider, right? Then there was those, it's like, I'm always gonna be the outsider, and they don't care, which we would call like that rebel guy that just really didn't care about any of it. But that didn't come from a solid strength because I was that guy. I was accepted by the popular group and didn't want to be a part, but yet I was a jock yet I didn't like them either. But I kind of could flow in all of them, and I was just mad. But I had different reasons, so it wasn't I had this deep character that I can stand on my own. I was dealing with something else. But anyway, the, the peer pressure side and those statements that we make, I find it interesting because when we get older, we actually teach people to do the opposite. Just go along. Don't rock the boat. Some things are out of your control. Don't have an opinion about that. Don't think about that. Just do what you're told. God just wants obedience. Don't have an opinion. Don't talk to him. I would say that's how our world is now. So how do we tell a kid to make a stand, then they flip around and now they have to go redo it? Do you think maybe there's something wrong with the mechanism of pressure and the world system of conformity that we're wrestling with in and out thinking it's a good thing and we're getting lost in it. Because there's coming days and I live in another country where people have to face life decisions. If I believe this, I lose my family. 
Now, I guess in some realms, there's things going on in our world in the U.S. that are like that. But I'm just talking about if I believe in Jesus, right, I lose my family. How do, you con- how do you work that through? Aren't we supposed to go along and just do? How do we wrestle through of standing in a true, the truth of a conviction that's right when everything else is against that, when we're taught how to work within pressure? How do we develop that internal pressure that actually benefits other people when we're designed to be pressured. We, we're, we, we work well in pressure. It's just much easier to flow when the pressure's pushing us around. There's no resistance, we don't have to stand up to it. Something we should go after. How does scripture address it? I guess I have a question of where do you get um, that source of pressure from? Like is it from an external source of like friends, families, that government, whatever entity? Or is it a pressure from God? Like does that play into it at all for you or for you, Jason? Like do you feel pressure from God to perform a certain way? Or is that a good pressure? Is that a bad pressure? Or how does that work? That's a good question. Um, it honestly feels... To go back to my, one of my other stories, it feels a little bit like when I would play basketball when my weaknesses were in basketball, and he knew what I thought my strengths and weaknesses were, and they weren't always lining up with how I saw things. But when he would challenge me or pressure me, it, 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 it actually kind of triggered something inside of me that's like, you know what, he's right, I, I can do this, so there was something more that came out versus like an opponent trash talking you. Anybody who's ever played sports, you, you hopefully know the difference between your opponent trash talking you and your teammate who's trying to inspire more fire in you. Does that make sense? And, and when I feel, you could call it pressure from God, it's, it's never from this perspective of, you know what, you're just, you're really disappointing me, Jason. And, and, Quite honestly, that used to be my perspective on things, where I would thought God was sitting there saying, you know what, I'm kind of disappointed in you, Jason. I had this plan and this plan for you, and for whatever reason, you haven't kind of lived up to that, so maybe you should get some things straight in your life. That's not the voice of my father. That's someone trying to poison a message from my father and add things to it and twist it completely. But my father, my heavenly father, is never disappointed in me, but he also sees what is actually in me because he put it there in the first place. So it, it, hopefully that makes more sense because it's never a disappointed in you. If you do this, then you'll fit in again pressure. It's, man, I see something deep in you and you want it to come out and I want it to come out. So what do we do with that? I, I think to your point, when we're, we're discussing this idea, we're we're trying to uh, set a stage because we don't realize how much we conform to the world's system. The Bible says in Romans 12, 2, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, God's not denying you your plan of life, the direction to go. It's just we get lost in the possible factor of our life and we have to navigate it. We have to be in it, but we can't be of it. But then we have to function and we got to go. But yet it's like, God, what do you want to do? But we constantly are listening, but I got to go do, take care of this first because X, Y, and Z needs me to handle this. Okay, I'm back to you, God. What do you want me to do? I got five minutes. Oh, hold on. I got to get up because I got to go take care of my job doing A, B, and C. And then you come back, okay, God, you got five minutes. And you're trying to do something within that because you're trying to do right things. It's right to go to work. It's right to be responsible. It's right to fellowship with each other, right? But things, I don't have time. So that thing that you're talking about, developing that internal pressure gets lost because even good things become external pressure. And we don't know how to separate because there's a, there's a key thing is what your heart loves is what you'll go after. 
Let me say it again. What your heart loves is what you'll go after. It's what will matter to you. We, always do, we won't always do what we need to do, but you will always do what you want to do. So what did we do on the team? We pulled out what you wanted to do, so then you would do what you needed to do. Just a little, little tidbit for you. So, go ahead. Say that. So just for, for the audio and everything, you were asking about how do we navigate if we don't do what we want to do? So there's things that you want to do, but they might not be what God wants you to do, and you're used to doing those things. So how to navigate that? Let me, I have an amazing story for this. I know I don't talk very much, do I, Tommy? Never. <laughs> Coach, is this going to be a long conversation or is this just going to tell us what the point is that we need to do? Today? I was going to give Brian two microphones instead <laughs> of just one. All right, let me just give you this example because this really ties in. We're talking about peer pressure. We're talking about all these things. I have our, our, our first director in the early days. We are starting to work inside the probation system. And I'm going to shorten this story, but culturally he came from a one of the first Christianized tribes in Thailand, but it's, it's Christian make a decision. It's just what your family does, but there's no relationship. But, but they were taught that they, they were scared and they didn't trust people who had tattoos. All right, don't get all nervous here. I still love all of you. He didn't trust any of these people who had tattoos because the tribes that are Buddhists would do the temples and it was a very, it was a very spiritual and they would put spirits into the tattooing process that would mark you. So whenever he saw tattoos, it freaked him out just because of culture, and some of it could be ignorance, but bottom line, there was a pressure. So we get in and we're running this program, and he's the first guy that we have to, we're, we're helping them find what they really want to do. I don't want them to, in my, if you were to have me pick, wow, you're gonna help them do something like that. No, I don't want them to do it, but I gotta get their heart doing something. Right? Because if you can find out what your heart's wanting and you keep going after, you'll find out what your heart's really wanting. But if I keep just saying no, so keep in mind the environment, so we're in this, we're dealing with this young man, so this young man comes into the program and, and I said, you're getting the next guy because he's gonna help them. What do you wanna do? How do we make a roadmap for it? How do we support you and start walking out that process, right? And I put no qualifications of what that was. And that scared him. Didn't scare me because I knew i just done this long enough. The young man comes in, the first guy that comes in, he is tattooed, head to toe, full skeleton, all the way down, and walks in. I could just see B's face going. Like, I don't know what to do with it. But he's learning to let go of thoughts because I want to see the person, not what I'm seeing. And he did. And actually, he, he was awesome. Like, he just stepped in and said, okay, I gotta get over my thinking of this whole thing. And let me just say, approving and loving people is not approving of what they're doing or not doing. It's seeing something in them that God sees, and that's what you're loving, all right? I can love a lot of people that a lot of people wouldn't agree with me loving, but I'm not saying what they're doing is what I love. I love them. So now we can navigate, because that's where relationships are formed. So this guy, he comes up, and um, B's working with him, and he lays out his plan. What does he want to do? He goes, I want to be a tattoo model. That, that's his goal for life. And B's looking at me like, uh, I, don't, I think the Bible says something about that. We can't help him do that. And I'm like, just help him do the thing. So he goes in and he starts walking through with him saying, okay, who do we contact? How do we get you out there? And we're just laying it out just like someone who had a dream that you're just laying out what a plan could be. And we said, we had no response to what we were seeing. We were looking at the guy's heart and there was this connection. And we ignored what we saw. I didn't try to pressure him to be something different so I could get to his heart. 
I put pressure on what he really was to come to the surface so we could deal with that. This is important. We are moved by pressure. But God moves pressure to draw out what, what's inside of us to connect so he can be a part of that versus shaping you into something. The world system shapes you. Okay, and then I'll shut up after this. So he's going. A week later, he comes back. Hey, how's the plan going? How can, how can we help? Is, what, what can we do to help you with this journey? Because I, I don't want to be a tattoo model. Why not? We laid out the plan. This is what you wanted to do. I mean, obviously, you've invested some time into the process. That's not what I want to be. He said, what I really want is just people to notice me. I really want to run a restaurant. But because we took pressure differently, he came to a peer group to shock us, loved him. It wasn't long till his want to came out because the environment changed, which is the needing of the pressure but now it's like, what kind of pressure are we really needing? But eventually it became his decision, not ours, which would be the goal of good pressure. I think in that story too, you see um, the different approach in B, the director at the time, where what you were asking about, Paul saying, I do things I don't want to do. It's in Romans 7 where he's talking about um, living in the flesh. And there's, you have to read the whole chapter, but you can't read Romans 7 without reading Romans 8. Because he goes on to say, hey, that was, I'm to live that old mindset, that old way. But he says, therefore, now there's no condemnation in Christ. We don't live by the flesh. We live by the spirit. So all those things of, I just do what I don't want to do. We always look at that as, well, I guess I'm just kind of stuck in that cycle for life. Paul said he was stuck in that cycle for life. That's not what he's saying. He's showing a difference between, well, am I looking at this person who's old of my, the way I was brought up, where this is wrong and evil and there's bad spirits on them. Or am I seeing something deeper in him, like Brian was just talking about? That's the difference between, well, I really want to help someone in my old system, so you're going to have to remove your tattoos, and I'll help you start a business. Like, that's, that's Romans 7, maybe. But for us, it's of the Spirit, not looking at those external things, or trying to apply external pressure, but like you said, drawing out something internal in people. I hope that makes more sense, but... It, yeah, we can't look at what he says in Romans 7 without Romans 8. That'd be like my wife and I getting to the altar and her saying her vows, but I'm just like, I'm good for now. That's, you're not, can't do that. It doesn't work that way. I love you, sweetheart. Anyways, um, I wanted to get back to a couple more examples of what the Bible says about peer pressure. I, I don't know if you guys had, um, Brian, if you had something specific you wanted to go to on that, but I had a few dozen I'd like to go over the next three to four hours here. When it relates to like Jesus and the disciples, how does peer pressure play in, play in with that too? Because it was like Jesus kind of put pressure on the disciples to go out and do and do the things that he called them to do and he showed them how to do it and then he said, go do it. And that was like a positive peer pressure, one would say, right? But I just found it really interesting when I, like, I think about that is like, the disciples then made it their own after Jesus left, and they continued those things. It was no longer because Jesus was there to push them. It was because there's something more in them, and I just thought that was something I thought about when I think about the Bible. So maybe you just defined a godly peer pressure is really with vacuum, and he sucks something out of them that they desired this, and the more he did it, then he gave them opportunity to go fail. Right? We, we didn't know God would actually give us opportunity to fail. Because how else do you learn? But he does it in a safe environment. Like he keeps drawing. So you're trying something. You're trying and then you're stepping out and it doesn't work. And then you're stepping out. That's where we grow. That's, that's where we become strong. And he encourages that. But I see him as almost like a reverse pressure. It's like a vacuum that it almost, it keeps drawing you to him. And you become what everything that you're becoming. So we need that. But I think, as you're describing that, that was kind of the first time I saw it, more of a vacuum pressure versus an external outward pressure. Because at no point did he coerce anybody to do anything. In fact, he empowered them to do things. Like there's times where he said, hey, I'm giving you guys power over this, this. 
go out. And so it's not, hey, I want you to go do this, so figure it out on your own. There's an actual empowerment of you have everything you need to go and do this. Now it's on your heart to do. Now you have the ability to do it, all of the above. So now go. Well, it's almost like even with, with grace, a lot of people will argue about, oh, I can do whatever I want to do, blah, blah, blah. If grace is that to you, you never wanted to know God anyway. To even argue, it's kind of ridiculous to me. If you want to know someone, you're not looking to find out ways I can do bad and be away from them. You want to know them. Now you find out you're whole and at peace with God and God sees you as, he, as you are, perfect, holy, and in your spirit, not your flesh is still working through things, but in your spirit, you're, you can't get any more. He can't give you any more. Like, you're it. So even type of things like whether it's grace or we, we argue through some of those things, is there hell? Well, I could sit and make the theological argument that there is, but the whole point is, don't you want to know him? I mean, isn't the whole thing about not, isn't that the mission of the whole piece? So some of it, he's sucking us into him versus trying to find pressures of performance, which now we're trying to justify our actions. Well, if you do this, this is gonna happen to you. If you do this, then this is gonna happen. So then the group starts pressuring that too because they wanna be justified in their actions. So now we're pressuring, right? That's the world system. God does something different. I'm just gonna liberate you. Then I'm going to vacuum you in. And if you don't want to come, you didn't want to be with me anyway. It would be like if the only reason, sorry to keep using my wife as an example, if the only reason I married my wife was so I could get away from my ex. Like, honestly, that's kind of what we've made it. I want to go to hell, so I guess God, I guess heaven, that's not, that's not a relationship. That's kind of twisted and demented. I don't think my wife and I would have a very happy marriage if I was like, hey, you're not my ex, so can we be together? Because that's really all I'm looking for is just to get away from that. I don't think we realize how messed up that is. I think one of the things, too, is like with church, it becomes really easy to just kind of be sucked into that peer pressure of like, oh, everyone else is like reading their Bible. Like, I need to read my Bible or something like that. Or everyone else prays or like everyone else talks like they pray all the time. But and then you feel like you have to pray. But it's, it's not about that. It's like, do you really want to know God? Do you really want to live with him? Do you really want him to be your father? Because when that changes, it's like, I go to church not just to hear about what everyone else is doing, but to, like, listen and give and, you know, serve others and not just be there to all, like, oh, here's the pastor. He's preaching good. He's, you know, it's a good sermon. It's so great. But it's like, it's like, I go there. What can I do to help this environment grow? And I think it's completely different. And... Uh, grace too is like it really changed for me when grace became like it became the help of like when I step out God's grace is there to cover me where I, I, I can't cover it's the stepping out of like having a faith of like I don't think I, like, I can't do that but I stepped out and when I stepped out that grace covered me it wasn't oh I can't do that but you know, God's grace will cover over me over this mistake of like, I didn't want to go. I'm not listening to God. It was, I had to step out and receive God's grace through that. And there was a lot of cool things that led that to happen. And it, it really, it showed me what it is like to walk with God because it's like you take a step of faith and you just know it's going to happen and it doesn't matter. There's multiple times where I was like, God, like this is so much money. I'm at the time, I was 15 or 16, or, and I was like, God, I can't do this. Like, I, you know, for me, for this fun trip, and everyone thinks it's a good idea and a great thing, but then no one wants to give their money, right? And when I just took a step out and was just like, all right, I'm going to do this, like, I give it up to you, just crazy things started to happen that would have never happened. Like, I, I went to school one day, and I looked in my locker, and there's an envelope with my name on it, and it had a bunch of money in it from someone I don't know, but they saw what I did to step out in that, and they knew that was the right thing to do. And so I think that's, that's where it comes from, is like the identity of God in you, not God outside of you pushing you to do something or external, external forces coming and pushing you to do something. And let me ask you then, did you pressure him to go to Thailand because you were like, you know what, I just need some more people to come visit me? It was like a selfish thing. 
it was an it was an invitation. It's more work when you come, so it wasn't like an easier thing for me, right? Because you got you got to help them walk through. Like it's just it's like having kids. It's they don't come out mowing the lawn. You know what I'm saying? Like there's this investment on the first side to, before they and something then they still don't mow the lawn. So there you go. So no, it has to be something that you're willing to do. But it was an invitation. Yeah, I didn't I didn't feel any pressure going either way, but I felt that like hey. Like, you should think about coming. Hmm. And it was open. So I, I, I think the big idea in this conversation, we've kind of rabbit trailed a little bit, but that's kind of part of the process. Because right when we're listening to something, we rabbit trail onto something else. Well, I think what was really important to me is I, I think there's mechanisms that we're designed to be accepted. We're designed to be loved. We're designed to be valued. We're designed to be believed in because that's the image of our Father. It's not selfish, it's just what you're designed to be. So we will go to try to find those things, but if we listen to our compass, God's trying to be that, of using the world system to accomplish those things. And they happen in good environments. And there is a utility to peer pressure. If you're trying to train a bunch of athletes that just got off their summer vacation, and you have two weeks to get them into shape, you really don't have time for the positive peer pressure of drawing them into it. Working your tail off, and if you puke, there's a bucket over in the corner. Let's go, right? You just kind of start off like that, but it's not long till that's over, and it's like now we're in a whole different venue. But most of that's just a kind of clean house to who really wants to play and who doesn't want to play. But we, ha we have stuff to do. So I am going to, so I want you guys to pick up on that, that God is a, he draws you into relationship and it's a different kind of pressure. It actually comes from inside and starts getting pulled out. But now how does that measure into our current world when we're designed to work with peer pressure? How do you make a stand for what's right? How do you stay, hold your own? How do you walk in the identity? How do you walk in something God's asked you to do that's harder than you can possibly do? What if it goes against the grain? So what did Jesus have to say about that? Luke 12, four, three through four says, I say to my friends, I say unto you, my friends, this is Jesus talking to his friends, not his mentees, his friends. Be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do, but I forewarn you whom you shall fear. Fear him which after he has killed, had power to cast you, after they have killed you, has the power to cast you into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs on your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than the sparrows. So this thing is like, oh, Brian, you're just contradicting what you just said. God is like saying, I'm gonna burn you if you don't follow along. Don't fear man, don't conform, what's your body? He was trying to say, because later on in verse 34, it says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you treasure God, like this is my father. He wants to show me. He wants to be with me. Man, I just love him. And you're facing decisions you have to make and you're afraid. That's where he says, don't worry, I already know what you're like. I already know you. Your acceptance, the love, the approval, all that stuff is in that. So therefore, we could stand in decisions that we make and we don't have to justify why we're making the decisions that we make. Any closing thoughts before we wrap it up here? I would say just really get to the point where you, you want God and you desire him and that becomes a desire more than anything else in the world. And I think for me when that became like my desire, it really changed how I viewed everything with like church and school and what I want to do with my life and where I want to go, who I want to serve. It became less about me and more about God and what do you want through this. And decisions, a lot of things that in my short 
21 years of life, I've been like, wow, these, these are some tough decisions, but it gets a lot easier when you bring God into it. And not only does he invite you, but you also invite him. Can I ask you real quick, where do you start your decision-making process on those tough decisions? Three sentences. I would say just, I start them by bringing, bringing them to God and then bringing them to people who I know have a relationship with God as well. And then you make a decision. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's one last thought I wanna... I would just say, in all of this, there is, one to make one clarification, there is utility to external group pressure. There's a utility to it. If you're trying to get fit, sometimes it's just easier to have a bunch of group people pressuring you. But that's not our end goal. The whole idea isn't to become dependent upon that. It's to drift into where you're being vacuumed into God that you're actually driving that pressure. That's good. Um, one more quick story to illustrate this that just came to my mind um, before we close up. So in, uh, in college, uh, I at first was a music major, ended up being music business. So I had music classes. And my theory class, my music theory class was the earliest one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And as a freshman in college, it was a terrible idea because I had to wake up early. A couple of years later, I also had an accounting class. I do not enjoy accounting whatsoever, but because I was a music business major, they just threw some business classes in there and thought, this will do. But I would wake up every morning for that music theory class. I, I dragged myself out of bed. It wasn't always easy, but my alarm would go off and I would... And I would not want to go, but I realized in my bed, the second I get to class, I, I love it there and I am in my element, so I'm gonna get there. And I crushed the class. When my accounting class rolled around, it was a little later, so I could sleep in a little bit more. It was, it got, and this is not, I'm not saying you should do this. It got to the point where I would literally lock my door in the morning because I was planning on skipping accounting class and I knew a guy a couple doors down was in the same class and he was gonna come wake me up to go to class. But I so much did not want it, I would take measures in advance eventually to prevent someone else from bringing me into it. That's what happens when your heart is so removed from something. But when your heart is in something, as mine was with my music classes, you'll get there. And it's not always easy and it's a struggle but there's a vast difference in accounting class and not realizing they're meant to be in music instead, for whatever that's worth. Awesome. Actually, Tommy, will you pray?